What's going on, guys? My name is Mike. My name is Mecca. And this is the Black Sheep Podcast, a podcast presented by the Black Wall Street Times. Hey, it's going to be hosted by two guys that find their voices being out of the ordinary. So I hope you join us for a conversation about news, culture, and really the things that matter. We're here to be bold, be different, but most importantly, we're here to be heard. So we appreciate you guys following along on this journey with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to all our social media platforms. That way you stay up to date with our latest episodes. All right. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Black Sheep Pod featuring your hosts, Mecca. And Mike. Uh, today we're going to take a second and uh, get you guys introduced to who we are, how we got here, and where we're going. Let's start it off, Mike. Tell me about yourself. So a little bit about me, and I feel like this is, this is kind of like an episode 1.5 or even like an episode 0.5. We should have introduced ourselves first, but it is what it is. We're here now. So a little bit about me. I grew up in New Jersey. I'm an East Coast boy. Grew up in Jersey slash Maryland. So my mother and father had me when they were in like early 20s, I believe. I believe like around 21, 22-ish, if I could do the math correctly. Uh, they were not married. I was the, the only child between the two. And my mother lived in Jersey. My father, for a period, like lived in Virginia, like Northern Virginia, Maryland area. And then, so I was the only child between those two. They kind of split, went their separate ways. A few years in, they both had their own separate marriages. When I was around like really five or six-ish, they both kind of got married to someone else, my stepmother and stepfather, um, and they began their families. And so all throughout my like, early childhood years, I, I remember very specifically going back and forth between the two parents, like living with my mother during the school years and, and things, and then going and staying with my father like during summer breaks and, and like winter breaks and fall breaks and things like that. And it was tough like as a child, especially being an only child, it was kind of rough. I'll never forget. Like I, we, I remember meeting in they would always drive and we would meet kind of in Delaware because my father lived in Maryland, mom was in Jersey, and Delaware was kind of a middle point. And it was one of those big, you know, like when you like visit a state, like when you're driving through like on a, on a highway and you it's like, oh, now entering Oklahoma. Here's our, like, it's those buildings that got like the gas stations and the foods and things like that. Yeah. Welcome to Delaware. Like, welcome to yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I remember we would always meet there and. That's where little Mikey would get dropped off. I remember always getting a Cinnabon there. So like low key, I was kind of happy because Cinnabons like smack. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was kind of my, my, my early upbringing. Um, How'd you get to Tulsa? That, that's a lot further down the road. Oh, uh, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, had, I was going to go into a few oh, more things. Go, go for it. Go Good for Lord. it. Both families, you know, they, they have children. I've got half siblings on both sides, brothers and sisters, all about nine years and on younger than me. So I'm the oldest by a pretty good amount. But yeah, lived with my mother up until like my teenage years. Once I was a teenager, I went and lived with my father in Maryland. So, you know, it was one of those summers where I was staying with him and I started to get pretty involved with sports. Also started to, I wasn't like a, a knucklehead in school, but I was like a class clown. Like I loved making people laugh. Bruh, we're both on a podcast called The Black Sheep Hot. You were probably a knucklehead. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to agree with me that you were a class clown as well. Oh, oh absolutely. Right, was. exactly. Yeah. So I was saying we're one and the same. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't getting like into like trouble, trouble, but, you know, teachers would be calling my, you know, Michael has so much more, so much more potential. He loves to like goof off and stuff. I mean, if, if there's a word I've heard my entire life, it's like Michael has potential. And I'm just like, all right, man. But yeah, so that started getting me in trouble. But every, you know, 
my father said it, and, I, and I've realized that as I've worked with youth throughout the years, but like as growing up as a teenage guy, like you need a strong male figure like in your life, someone like who you can connect to and respect and and all that. And my stepfather, he was there with my mother when I lived with her and stuff, but I wasn't like as close with him as I was my real father. And so like, yeah, right when I was around 16, I believe, I was with my father one summer and at the end of the summer, I was like, hey, what do you think about just like living here and, you know, you get more serious with sports and stuff. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I just, so 16 <clears throat> is when you went to go live with your dad. Yeah. I was actually going into seventh grade. I don't know how old you are when you're going into seventh grade. Not 16. Okay. Uh, let's go 15 or 14 then. <laughs> Probably a little bit low. Yeah. yeah little bit somewhere around there, man. Pre like, like teenage years. <laughs> I don't know why 16 just sounded good. <laughs> Yo, you 16 to 7th grade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm not dumb, y'all. For those listening, I swear I'd never got held back or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I went and and lived with him um, in Maryland. That was more a, like, churchy environment, living with my father. That's when I started going to church, like, consistently and, you know, youth group and all that kind of stuff. Then I went to college for a year in Virginia and played basketball. At like a small D3 school. I was going to ask where your sports of choice were. Uh, back then, sports of choice were basketball. Oh, just, just basketball. Yeah, I mean, that's literally all I played. I mean, everyone, if you know me now, you know, I play any sport under the sun. But yeah, I've been growing like high school years and stuff. Back then, for back times are different because now it's like you want to play two or three sports to kind of not, not so much get noticed, but like be real well-rounded. But back then it was like, you're focusing on one sport all year round. There's AAU. When you're not in season, summer ball is just as important. So yeah, basketball was my sport. And I went to college for a year and played. That's when I was a knucklehead. That's when I was skipping class. I mean, that was my first real taste of freedom in the sense of not having someone constantly around who can kind of like keep you in check or whatever. Because, I, I mean, I was, what? No, no, go for it. No, I was going to say, I was, like, free, like, my parents weren't ever, like, overbearing or anything like that or didn't let me do things I didn't want to do. Of course, they wouldn't let me do things that were, like, detrimental to, for me in high school and stuff. But, like, yeah, getting out of college, I went to college in Virginia, uh, about four or five hours away from where I lived. So, I was free, but not, like, too, too free. Like, they could check in. You know, they would come to my games and things like that. So I know you're knuckle, but did you, are you a rule follower? Did you follow like rules at home and stuff? Yes, because I, I mean, okay. I, I grew up with a, a black mom. Uh, okay. My stepmom was black too, and my mom was Jamaican, so like. And for people, so, and your dad is. My dad's a, sh- a short, bald, white guy. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> Just in case anyone's listening, they can't see that you're light-skinned. Right. So. Yeah, no, I grew up with a Jamaican mom, and I remember getting beat as a kid. Like, you know, nowadays, you know, it's. When I hear the crowd that says, oh, you know, don't beat your children and things like that, or spankings are awful, or you're just perpetuating this awful system, like, ah, I mean, I don't know. I got spanked. And, my, look, parents, my parents didn't get that memo. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> my no, parents no. did growing up. Um, I feel like it's a very fairly new thing, especially in, like, the black culture and stuff. You, that, that memo is not re- reaching the, the black culture. <laughs> you ain't calling nobody. There ain't, no, ain't nobody coming for help. They ain't nobody right. coming to save you. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember getting whooped as a kid and stuff. But honestly, like, I'm thankful for it because it kept me in line. I knew, like, I could act out a little bit, but I couldn't act out too, too much because if I knew if I was going home, there was going to be either a shoe or a stick or a hanger or something waiting for me. Hangers. What was the... Oh, hangers. What was the... Hangers. <laughs> hangers all day long. Hangers. Switch. I was going to say, what was the worst object or... You know, oh, the worst? Yeah. Oh. Like, what's the object that you remember the Ooh. most? 
I'm going to tell you this wild ass story here. Hangers were regular. The worst, man, I don't want to seem like I got abused or nothing like that, but. Uh, but Please, I, I got, I got, you know, Please broom, don't judge our parents. A, they a, were learning. A broomstick got swung in my direction, and uh, was the 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 sweeper part attached to it, or was it just a stick? Just, just know that I got hit with a broomstick. <laughs> oh, you think she connected? They connected. They connected. <laughs> elbow, crying, but that was the one. That's the one that sticks out the most. Oh, you got popped in your elbow because I was trying to block the. T- <laughs> <laughs> Bad idea. Just take it on. Just take it as it's coming. I tried to block, caught my elbow. Thought I shattered my elbow. Oh, so I. I mean, I've I've gotten like I've been accustomed to like ducking when I was growing up because you know things coming for the face facial area. Bro, if I talk to you, if I tell you about Nigeria and their punishment styles, yeah. whoo, one of the wildest stories. And my mom will, I know, will end up watching this or listening to this and figure out that she got played. But one one of my wildest stories was my mom. I was doing something, probably in school, came home, and she was threatening to whoop my ass, and I think I started crying, and I was, I was probably 12 or 13, and she was threatening, she's like, do you want me to whoop you? Kind of like threatening me with it, and I was like, you know what? I, I hit the meanest reverse psychology I've ever hit in my life, and I was like, you know what? No, I'll just do it myself, and I was like crying, <laughs> Oh, my God. I don't know if I had a shoe in my hand or something, but I was, like, threatening, like, no, I'll do it myself. Like, you just sitting there hitting yourself? I'll put myself. No, I didn't, I didn't start hitting myself. But I was threatening it, and I remember, like, I remember not getting whooped that night because I think I kind of, like, took, she was taken aback, and she didn't really know how to respond to that. I mean, as a parent, how do you respond to your child when you're about to punish them? And you're like, you know what? I'll just beat myself or spank myself. Huh. Oh, okay, my child is dumb. <laughs> I've got an idiot as a kid. That was me. And I'll never forget it, man. Finesta, I remember right, she was sitting on the couch. I was like in the hallway going back to the bedrooms. And uh, yeah, man, I got out of an ass whooping that night. And I was like, yo, this, like, that's all it takes. Back to your story. Back in to college, your played college basketball yeah. for a year. Absolutely awful. Loved the experience, but absolutely did awful in school. Skipped class. I was a, like a 3.0 student in high school. You know, again, potential. Really? Yeah, and I'm like my, sorry that I didn't that, mean to sound super surprised at that. I didn't take it as that, <laughs> but some might. And yeah, 3.0, like at a pretty prestigious prep school, like my senior year. I, again, I could have done more, but I didn't really care too much about grades. But I went from a 3.0 student to my first semester of college. And I've told this to a few people, um, like students who I've like mentored and stuff. And there's always this shock. But my first semester of college, I was a 0.9 GPA. at a school where there's like an honor code so you can like go sign in take your test go take your test wherever you want I would cheat on test like have my textbooks open with taking the test right there and stuff and I still ended up with a 0.9 GPA and I am not condoning cheating or anything like that I want to be very clear I was so similar but that's how dumb I was and how misfocused my priorities were. I wouldn't were. say dumb, just lazy. Uh, lazy and, yeah, just priorities weren't in the right place when I was 18, 19 years old in college. So, yeah, literally only did, only did that for one year. And then I knew, like, I knew I needed, I couldn't keep doing that. Because I was like, I was like twenty dollars or $25,000 that I just blew down the drain for a year of college for nothing. And I was like, oh, I can't, keep, can't keep doing this. So I had some friends who were pastors out here in Tulsa, and I had some friends who were going to a 
had already gone through a ministry program here in Tulsa, but I had some friends from Maryland who were also going. Um, and I was like, you know what, that's probably would be best for me. Me and my family agreed. And so me and about four or five other friends from Maryland all moved out to Tulsa in the summer of 2008 to do a like 24-7 ministry program here uh, in Tulsa. And I mean, that was the first time I had ever seen Tulsa. First time I ever even really heard of Tulsa was actually moving here, which is pretty wild. And yeah, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I've ended up staying and it's been, what, 13 years now. Yeah, since 2008. So that's kind of how I ended up out here. So I will turn the question over to you now. Give us a brief summary of I mean, after that, it won't be brief, but it'll be a summary. (laughs) My bad. We Uh, had 10 minutes. I used eight of them. (laughs) So I guess... I wasn't sure how far back I was going to go, but I'll just say like birth. We go back to birth. Okay, I was born in DC. That is basically Wait, in the city limits of DC or DMV area. No, DC. I was oh, born okay. in DC, right. and then I lived from Silver Spring. After you know, I was there for eight years. My parents want, didn't want me to be me and my sisters. They didn't really want us to be in like that environment because it was like super busy and stuff. So they sent us one summer to go live in Denver with some with family. I've never known this. So me and my sisters flew to Denver, spent a summer in Denver while they were looking for where we were going to move, and we never went back to DC. So from Denver, we catch a flight to Georgia. They're like, "All right, we live in Georgia now." It's like, oh. Okay. And Georgia was great because Georgia was a lot quieter. So I spent eight when I moved to Georgia. And this is my first time being able to really do stuff, you know, going out with friends and sleepovers and stuff like that. Never really could do that in D.C. because my parents just didn't trust stuff. So then... Um, plus, you were younger than eight years old, so... Oh, that's true. But, yeah, that's true. They weren't going to let us do it. They, my parents were strict stricter when we were in D.C. And then when I got to Georgia, they just trusted the fact that Southern hospitality, things like that. And it was like quieter scene. So then that should have worked out in our favor. But me being me, giving me a little bit space. Are your sisters younger than you or older than you? Younger. So my sisters, I have two younger sisters that are right behind me. So you're the oldest of three siblings. Yes. We look like twins, triplets. We know they're shaving. They share my face. I mean, we're really right after each other. So I'm 33, my sister's 32, and my youngest sister will be 31 in a week. I say I wasn't that confident to start listing my siblings' ages because I've got five. Uh, you struggled on your youngest. Hey, look, but I'm proud of your confidence because I was not that confident to list off ages. At this point, people don't know. I like my sisters are one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all don't know, but uh, yeah. So we were really close. But growing up in Georgia, I had. You know, as I started to get older, I just got involved in different stuff, wrong friends, people, having a good time. When I was 12, I got arrested. Okay. <laughs> that, that escalated quickly. Um, just got in trouble with, some, with stealing some stuff, and cops got called, and then I had a court date. And to my understanding, I was on probation. As, you know, as a kid. You should have hit that judge with, judge with the reverse psychology. Hey, judge. Uh, in fact, I'll just, I'll just lock myself up. My, I'll ground right. myself. Look, man, it could have worked. And to give some backstory, my parents are Nigerian. My mom, my dad came over here from uh, from Nigeria. And they've so always So we both talked. got some immigrants for parents. Yes. And from countries where, I don't know where, but go on. <laughs> they've always talked about us, like, going to Nigeria. going, And it's never happened. 
I got in trouble. This was in 2001, right after 9-11. I got in trouble that October-ish, and I was on a flight to Nigeria that November. And so there's an urban legend in, like, African American households that, hey, act up, you don't, send back, you don't get sent back to the motherland. And I tell kids today, I'm like, yo, it's, it's not so urban and it's not so legendary either. It's a real, it's, not it's, a real it's, it's a real deal. Holy. So they fresh prince to you. Absolutely. Moving with your auntie and uncle in Nigeria. In Nigeria. Absolutely. <laughs> Never met them before. Didn't know the, you know, my parents speak Igbo in the house, but I could understand a little bit, but I couldn't speak it. And so now I'm in this new culture, new people. And I thought that I was going to be there for two months. I packed very lightly. And after, actually, I thought I was going to be there for one month. <laughs> I'm saying one month. I actually thought I was going to be there for two weeks. And then as things kind of progressed, my parents kind of just let me know. Like, yo, you uh, go ahead and enjoy the time that you're going to be out there. Oh, is you again? So, so then that ended up turning into a two and a half year stay. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks and two and a half years. And so then what was crazy is that when they called me to tell me that I was coming back, I remember them asking me like, yeah, so are you ready to come back home? And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, you know what? This isn't home. Like I do live at home in America. So I was like, yeah, like let's run it. So I came back here, went to school. So they, how, how old are you when you came back? 15. They sent me there to get some Acrite. <laughs> So when I came back, for those of you who don't know what Acrite is, oh yeah, explain, look, it, to, explain look, it to our so Acrite is friends. when Acrite is is it's basically getting a whooping. It's it's every it's discipline to get you to act right. And you got whooped by the tribe, like because again, these are people; these aren't your parents that are whooping you out there and getting you in yeah, shape. It's, it's my family here, you know. It takes a village. Yeah, you, you know, got whooped by the village. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's punishment there is very different. Right. You talk about kneeling, you hands walk, up. Oh like, my gosh, walking down the street and some random stranger whoops you. That's for your mother. Uh, what? Everyone's my auntie and uncle. When I came back here, you know, I'm starting this, starting off different again. It, it's fresh start. And surely, I'm just that type of person that kind of finds trouble anywhere it's at. And so, after I graduated high school, I was, I mean, my family, I'm the one that always got in trouble. So, I would sneak out the house. I grew the dreads. I got the tattoos. There was a time I got caught. <laughs> there was a time I took the car. I took my mom's car, went to the club with some friends. And my mom was calling me. I'm in the club, and my mom was calling my phone. I'm like, oh, snap. So, I, hey, guys, I got to go. Like, if y'all trying to stay, y'all stay. I got to go. Drive all the way back home. It's like, what am I going to do? So I end up taking all, take off the fresh clothes. I'm in my wife beater. I take my pants off, so I'm in my drawers, and I walk in with, with just my socks. And she's like, where are you at? And I was like, man, I woke up. I had a headache. I had to go to Walmart, get some medicine. I had this empty Walmart sack. I'm like, please don't let her check this bag. Like, and you're in your drawers. I was, like, I was like, hey, I just, I just went across the street. Like, hey, she bought it. Mom, oh my gosh, our parents. And when they look back and, like, mom, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry that right. I lied to you. Then I've snuck out once in my, and out still again. We're two peas in a pod, but we're also different because I was Very not, so. I was not that. I snuck out once, and I was just to meet a girl. And I was like, I'll, I'll never do this again. That was the most anxious. 
30 minutes of my entire life. Oh, I, I pushed past that anxiety a long yeah, time Yeah, yeah, not, not me. Oh, I, I'm, I, look, I'm brazen. I'm there sweating the entire time. I'm like, you know what? I'm never doing this again. So, yeah, I snuck out once. And oh, it was never again for me. No, I was brazen. Out the window, out the back, out the front, calling my sisters like, hey, can you turn the alarm off? I did do the tattoo without their permission. And that got that was actually my college first year of college and that got me in trouble man all of it so then i ended up going graduating same thing very similar to you graduated with 3.0 uh oh, really yeah hey <laughs> chill out 3.0 gpa was at a community college in georgia and was like applying to different schools and i really was going to play football that's what i really wanted to do and i applied to seven different schools and one of them being or roberts university because my parents wanted me to not me. Because Oral, you did not have, Oral Roberts did not have a football team. Because Oral Roberts is in the middle of nowhere. Right. I didn't know anything about. But I'm saying you apply there not wanting to because they didn't have a football team. Like, I wish that, that was one of the reasons. But yeah, for ORU is a Christian college here in Tulsa. And when I looked them up online, it just had all these different rules. And it, it just didn't seem like a place for me to be at. Yeah. But we put in the application and they call. We'd love to have you. I was so upset. That's what you're I was, y'all, this was for fun. I was so upset. They called me on a Sunday. I was just playing some football with my boys. I get a call, tells me I'm, I'm accepted. We go out to eat. They're asking me why I'm so down. And I'm like, I just got accepted into college. And they're like, wait, what? Congratulations. I'm like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, it's in Oklahoma. And they're like, all right, well, don't go. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. There's no way that I'm going to be able to tell my parents that I got accepted into this college that they've wanted me to go to and they not make me try a semester. Boy, you should have lied. That's what I, I was doing. I was, I, I, was, I was a little bit of a white liar when I was. You know what I did lie on? I lied on my application <laughs> and they still accepted me. Like, yeah, because I know the application and I know your, your upbringing. <laughs> man, so uh, the next week, so very similar to like when I left for Nigeria, I got in trouble. Very soon on a plane to Nigeria, I got this call, and the next week, I was my parents drove me out here, um, and I started this. You know, I started school at Oral Roberts and failed a lot of classes, racked up a lot of expensive Fs. It's very similar to you. Look at us now. I, look, look at, look I, at I, us. Look, look, hey, anything is possible. <laughs> I transferred from ORU to a community college here, where I racked up some cheaper Fs. <laughs> It was just not school. It was just not a thing for me. But at, during the time that I was at ORU, I ended up meeting a guy who uh, knew a coach for a semi-pro team out here for football. And he, you know, I told him that I'd been wanting to play. So he gave me a number. I called. I tried out made this team. And this, for me, was my thing that I was going to use to kind of make my parents and my sisters proud because – School was not that for me. So when they would call and ask me about school, I'd lie. But now when I had football, I had new, you know, I, had, I puffed my chest out because it was like, oh, I'm doing something. Uh, so first year, won a championship, and next year was trying to do the same thing. And unfortunately, I, I made a tackle in the game, and I broke my neck in a football game and was paralyzed from my chest out. So for those of you who are listening that cannot see me, I am a— I can see you. Well, uh, they're listening. For the, for the audio version— <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> so for those of you guys who are wondering, wait, why can't I see through this radio? Um, <laughs> I am a quadriplegic, and I use a, an electric wheelchair. That happened in 2009. 
hardest time of my life, but the next year over is whenever I started volunteering at that church that you were at. And then that's where we met. You were the first person ever in my life who either had a disability or a special need or anything like that, like in close proximity to me, like once we became friends. So you kind of opened up this new world for me in the sense of, like I've always feel like I've been a, a giving and caring person and things like that, but having a close relationship or, you know, back then we were just, we were just friends, but over the years progressed a close relationship with somebody like with a, a disability you've kind of opened up that, like that different world for me in the sense of, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, it's, it's a new perspective, new paradigm. New you perspective see, for yeah, me. You yeah, see yeah, things for, for sure. Awesome. stuff. I, I remember very early on, one of my first questions that I didn't even realize I really had until you told us, but tell those listening and watching, how tall are you? And like when you were in your football prime, how, like what's your height and weight? I'm 6'5", played at two, about 245, 250. Now I'm still 6'5". I just sit down yeah. at four, whatever yeah. my height is. So that was, so, um, I mean, again, a different perspective, you know, having you, you know, my entire time I've known you, pretty much you've been being in the chair and stuff. You never really, I never got the the full picture, like, of who Mecca completely is until, I'll never forget it. One time we were at the center, which is where you go, <clears throat> which is where you go, you know, to work out. Um, amazing place, nonprofit, you know, helps people with disabilities and stuff. I feel like you can probably describe it in one sentence what they do better than me. It is the Center for Individuals with Physical Challenges. It's a center that helps people with disabilities work out. It's a gym. There's Paralympic stuff. There's art, horticulture, just a... Yeah, amazing place. And I've gotten I've gotten to go there quite a few times um, with Mecca. But I'll never forget one time you... And it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, this was probably three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah so we've so been like, deep. We've been real deep in our friendship and this man yeah, came out there and seen... Right. <laughs> Well, no, I've been there. I was there before, but you had never stood up. Yes. So this is probably like seven or eight years into our relationship. And I'm I'm, Mecca stands up for the first time to do some like pressure relief. And I just remember him like standing up in this thing. And I'm sitting here looking up like this, like, like, wait a second. I didn't know you were this tall, my guy. Yeah, I'm like really 6'5". I was like, oh, sh- damn. Like, I- then you add that with the mass that I walk around. Bro, I'm, I'm energy now. I'm, I'm energy, like, just a massive individual. Think about me. Oh, the mask. Show. I thought you said mask. Oh. You walk around a mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like we would have been, you know, pre-injury, we probably would have been boys still. Because, again, we're both athletes, both kind of similar. So we, I think viewers and even us, we can see that we have very similar backgrounds in the sense of, kind of like knuckleheads going somewhere to kind of get right, similar, very similar sports backgrounds, families being um, of different cultures. And the, <clears throat> our, our kind of anchor in our involvement with the church. I met Mecca probably was in, so your injury was in 09. You met me in 2010. I actually won't ever forget it because it was a pretty embarrassing moment, but I was serving in the youth group. And they're like, hey, you got to come meet this guy. Like, oh, let me give some background to my serving. Because yeah. so the guy that I that gave the, the guy that gave me the number to do the tryout for the uh, football team actually worked at the youth group. And when I was at my worst, like just sad, depressed, not feeling like I my life had anything going he invited me to come and hang out with him at the office and it was that week that first week or two that i was there is whenever oh, really yeah. i didn't know it was that early on oh they acted like you'd been there for a grip um, maybe maybe i've been there but i can't yeah, remember we don't know yeah like, we, we just gonna make this up the yeah, story as we go <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I was talking to some of the similar guys there, and they're like, hey, you got to come meet this guy, like big sports background like you. So I went, and I'm in the office, and there's probably like, it's all the youth leaders there in the office, and I see this guy in this wheelchair. You're like in your laid-back position, and they're like, hey, this is Mecca. He used to play for the Thunder. And again, you know, me playing basketball all, all growing up and in college and stuff, I was like, oh, like the Thunder. I, like I'm about to instantly, my head goes into, you know, I'm about to ask him questions about KD. Ibaka, Westbrook. So at this time, Oklahoma City Thunder just moved to Oklahoma. Just moved to Oklahoma. My um, football team was called the Oklahoma Thunder. Yes. And I went to high school, like literally a couple of minutes away from Kevin Durant, like saw him play uh, basketball in high school, like was at his games and things like that. So like I felt like there was some connection. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, snap, I'm about to talk to somebody who's like on the squad. Like I'm... Again, all of these things are firing off in like 0.2 seconds. All of these questions I have and the possibilities I'm thinking of. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? Like, Thunder player, like, that's super dope. And I think I might have even asked you, you asked a basketball no, question. You, you, you definitely um, asked me a basketball question. I asked him a basketball question, and then, like, the air kind of left the room. And they're like, oh, nah, he plays for the, the Oklahoma Thunder. I said, wait, so there's no city in there? Yeah, the Oklahoma Thunder. He plays football. And I'm just like... I, and I felt it. I felt, I felt it instantly. We're, we're sitting there vibing, and I could tell that he's engaged because there's something that he's trying to get from me. I, and then I when, I re- when he realized that I don't, I'm not the one that has it. I couldn't give a interest, shit less, man. Interest is gone. I, I was, was like, like, oh, this dude is, ain't nothing to me. Then, man. Who I, is this? I, I couldn't care. Because, I mean, football and basketball players, like, again, we all kind of, like, understood each other. But at the same time, there was always kind of a little bit of a rivalry all throughout, you know. Man, I, I just, I still remember being in that office and it's like, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I didn't care. I was like, oh, cool, man. That's dope. I see you got hurt praying for you, dude. Like, all right. I, was, I guess I'll see you guys later. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, all right. Um, but no, I mean, really from there, yeah, that was in 2010, we're going to say, for viewing purposes. Yeah. I mean, since then, I mean, we've, we've been super involved. Like, so that was at a point where, where we were super involved in, in the church here, both serving. We were probably... At the height and at the peak of it, we were, we were probably serving, I mean, me so more in particular because I was involved, you know, with that ministry program I was in, serving three. I was, trying to, I was just trying to get my life uh, so together. I say something else. And, yeah. Okay. I thought you were going to say you were trying to get some girls or something like that. I, I was trying to get girls at the same time too, but at the same time, I was trying to get my life together. But, yeah. you know, speaking of, speaking of that, I feel like this is pretty relevant in the sense of like, so that moment is when we first met, but that's not when we became friends. Like okay. there is a moment there, there is a distinct moment in this timeline in which it was like, all right, I'm going to be your friend because there was, so that was 2010. We first met, I think in 2011 or 12. We were the, both going to the same like young adults group. Be up. So. Was a, yeah, it was after two. Yeah. Yeah. Same young adults group. And that they were doing a series called share your story. And I remember and it's, it's crazy because this is some foreshadowing because the pastor had told everyone to write out their stories and share it online for people to read. And they had me share my story on the mic. So I have a picture where I'm, I'm talking my story. Because Mecca's Tulsa's poster boy, if y'all don't know. So. Well, I'm just saying, foreshadowing now because it was, I'm, it was me sharing my story with the mic and it's you sharing your story with the pen. 
Fast forward all this time, I was online and I, was, and I had read, you know, followed the hashtag and was reading people's stories. This was on Facebook. At that point, Facebook, Facebook yeah. was big back then. There was no Instagram. I don't even know if Twitter, Twitter was around, but there was no, this was pre-Instagram, dog. Yeah. That's how long we've been at this. Uh, yeah. And this was like when you did the Facebook notes thing. Uh-huh. And I, cause I've seen those notes that I've written in the past and thank God they're not, it's not still a feature, but. I read, I read what you shared. And I'm, I'm not going to get into details about what it was you shared, but I remember as I read, I was like, yo, like this dude, just like me, like, I, I, I've had those same struggles. Like I, and so I remember the very next Tuesday, cause we always met on Tuesdays for the, for the, this youth group. Um, I remember I was like, I got to find this dude. Like Mike, I remember us meeting us. Oh, that's that guy that, that played me for the, you know, the football basketball thing. thing. (laughs) But I was like, all right, let me go. I see him. I saw, came up to you in the lobby and I was like, Hey man, like read your story. Uh, really appreciate you being like open about that. And then soon after I was like, so at this church, we're in the middle of Oklahoma. I'm from Georgia. Again, there's some things culture wise, there just wasn't a lot of people that understood things that I laughed to that, you know, things that, that I've found interesting from sports to, to urban background. And so I remember wanting to put, like there were a couple of guys that I felt like, get me, you were one of them. And so I, I remember asking you, then three of the other guys, we'll give them a shout out, Sam, Bradley, PJ came on later. Matt was there. But, uh, Matt came on later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we all kind of like again. These are all guys like sports backgrounds. Happen to be black. Yeah, but again, yeah, we all like understood and where each other were coming from. And I was like, yeah, let's get. We got food. We got wings. We got. Mm-hmm. We get wings and watch some football. Yeah. Even though this so man hated football. Our first time was at uh, Wingstop. Wingstop. Yeah. yeah. And we called that the we called that we call those board, board meetings. meetings. Board meetings. Yeah. So we had yeah called it the boardroom before Kevin Durant had his own boardroom. So. There's so then we tried to make a regular meeting where we get together, talk about the latest stuff, check in on each other. And that is, you know, now you can say the rest is history. Yeah. Our time in Tulsa has been interesting, especially in the church, because we're coming into a very, I mean, like the evangelical church, even though we went to a, like a diverse, the church we were at was, is like, Overall, you could look on the outside and call it a diverse church. The evangelical church is not necessarily diverse in thought. And it's a church. Especially so here in the Bible know Belt. You, yeah, like yeah. here in the Bible Belt, it's a very like, white religion like on its face, face, Christian evangelicalism. And so with us coming from where we came from, our different backgrounds, and being like immersed in that, you, know, you kind of find yourself looking around just going, crap, like, I don't really... like the, the music and stuff is very like... Bro, so I'll tell you this. It was... From a spiritual, from where I was at, the church, this particular church that we were at, like, was a godsend for me. They, there was a need that I had that they met. There was a need for community. There was a need for spiritual growth, and and it met that for the time that I was at. Then as I grew, then there became a time, it's like, okay, as I'm now taking in what I'm like, what I've learned and what I've learned over my life. This is this necessarily true for the world that I see. I understand that it's, you know, some things are true for the world that another person sees, but we were just starting to have a lot of, especially when it came to race relations, just a, a lot of different, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but there was just a lot of, a lot of 
issues there. Yeah, and I would agree. I'm thankful for my time there at the church and the relationships that came from it. Yeah, I, I am not, I'm a believer that there's certain, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I understand that statement for sure. I also think there are sometimes there are things that you don't necessarily have to walk through in life. Like there are some lessons that you don't need to learn through your own personal experience. I can look at someone else's experience and say, you know what? That's a lesson I don't need to learn by going through that. I can learn that 100% by looking at you and your experience. <clears throat> so I would say there, there are some lessons, there are some trials that I went through at the church where I was like, you know what? I would have been better off not going through that. And, and, and a lot of those were self, um, inflicted. self-inflicted for sure. Yeah. I don't want to say I have regrets, but I'm just like, man, there are certain things that I wish I would have done differently. Church hurt, too, is like a real thing. Yeah, there's a big thing, and it's a big part of what's gotten me to where I am now. I mean, like you said, kind of right around 2016 and before even the elections of 2016, you know, Trump and Hillary started running against each other and throwing barbs and stuff back and forth. Where it started to turn for me with the church here in town and just evangelicals as a whole. It's probably the same, probably the same timeline. But go no, ahead. No, no, for sure it is. Because we, we talked about it all the time. I remember. I think, um, I, think I know exactly where you're going. It was with this. a lot of, you know, 2016 was a pivotal time where a lot of unarmed black men were being killed by police officers all over the country. And it was being recorded. And it was being, you know, you're, we're, we're witnessing murders on TV once a month. You know, a new hashtags added again for us, for our group where we kind of got together and started meeting up and stuff for us, it hit a little, it hit closer to home. Cause it's like, wait a second, I'm sure you can, you would agree that you would start to, I can see myself in those people that are becoming hashtags. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm getting, if I'm getting pulled over by the cops, I mean, now that I, my hair is longer and I've got earrings and tattoos and sometimes I'll wear a necklace and stuff, I am portrayed differently than my white friends when they get pulled over. And so whenever I started to see those people, those images of people being killed in the news, it hit differently. And so I started you know, to speak out on it and speak out how it's always wrong, in my opinion, whenever an unarmed citizen gets killed by a police officer, gets shot to death. To me, it's kind of alarming that some can justify and again, I'm talking about unarmed people because, you know, I understand when police, our, our best friend is a police officer. I understand the job that they have and I understand the difficulties in that because I ask them questions all the time, especially with my job now being like a, a, a journalist. I want to make sure I do the due, due diligence and whatever I write. So I ask them a lot of questions about police training and everything else. But when someone's unarmed and they're still getting shot to death, to me, that there's not much justification behind that. But around that time in 2016, as I started to speak up more, those around me, like in the evangelical circle, were either not speaking up at all, not really being there to be like a, a comfort, like the brother or sister that they that that I, we heard for the eight years prior to that. Like, oh man, we're all brothers, we're in this together. Like, you know, I've got your back and things like that. It's like, wait a second. Now there comes a point where I'm looking around, like I'm crying out for help because man, this is very real to us. And no one's around. And then there were even some of those who were trying to justify the actions like, well, a person shouldn't have ran. Well, they shouldn't have talked back or this and that. And I'm just like, the things just started to get a lot more illuminated around that time. And so that's when I started to really pull back more and more to where it was like, okay, I've got to keep in mind, like, 
And it was, it was a life lesson. It's very important to take inventory of those who always say, man, I'm for, like the people who are for you, when push comes to shove, you'll, I feel like you'll see in life, a lot of people who say that I'm for you, this and that won't be there like in your, in your toughest times. I don't think it's, it's that they, there's a lot of things. I'll say like this 2016, that summer was the, that was the most tense summer I've experienced up until 2020. And because it was the shootings of Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, like that was it's that was an insane time. And I remember just the pressure cooker that it was for us because again, the you know, I, I, we're not new to this. You know, I, I grew up in Georgia. I've experienced racism like from the entire time that I've been there. Um, and so to, to come and be here and to kind of share my experience with people and friends that didn't just didn't really understand what I was trying to say, or it was even harder than that. Because again, you, you, up until this time, we're linked by the good times. You know, we are, and not that we didn't have our issues, you know, you know, you show up for me if, you know, I, my tires fly, right. you show up for I me if I need someone like to move, right. right? I'm low on cash. Like, you know, it, it, that it's not that people didn't show up. But I think when it comes to certain things in our country, race being especially one of them, the, you know, one of the biggest ones in this country, it is very hard for people to respond. And that is one thing that I recognized in 2016 was that the church, at least the white evangelical church, did not have answers for race issues in America at and, all. And I don't, but I don't think they even, like, they didn't, need answers or we were even like the black people were expecting answers because I, I can't expect the white people to have all the answers for what we're going through right. but and at the, least the empathy to just show up and listen see and the, i feel like that wasn't there so it's uh, to me it wasn't even about having answers it was more so like having the desire to sh like listen but that's that's kind of more so what i mean is okay. not necessarily answers is they don't have like there isn't a there's, there's, you can't, you, they, the empathy is not there because they've never had to experience this. It's the same, and it's, it's it hurts it even there, more. As, but it should be there because we can be hurts even more for different groups that we're not mm -hmm. a part of. It hurts even more when it's people that you have committed to saying, like, our family, I, like, I love you, you love me, mm -hmm. but now with something that's this deep, because again, I can't take my skin off, and, and you know, like, it's this deep for me. You, it it was hard because it's like, oh, you really don't see me. You really don't know me. And now I want to give you a chance to find out about me. And you don't care enough to. Not even don't care. I think it's more so it hurt. It's you, you're, you want to protect your feelings more than look out for my feelings. And so then we, and we had that replay itself last year. But yeah, that, that time was real like. I, I do know that around then, that was when a lot of people were just kind of like wondering about faith and like what, you know, why, why am I here? Do you really have my back? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, and I know for me, like these, and I know for you as well, I can speak for both of us, these, the, the church hurt that we're talking about, this is not an isolated um, oh, no, no. feeling between just me and you. I have talked to dozens because, you know, I've been more vocal over the past five years 
dozens of people have been in my DMs of all races with coming to this kind of the same realization of, man, here is a group of people who have been, who have, who have been, were crying out and have been crying out for so long about treatment and being seen and being heard. The thing I hated the most was when people would say, especially in the church, would say, I don't see color. Uh, man, I wanted <laughs> that statement just makes me want to smack somebody straight across the face. But, you know, people have been speaking up for so long. And so there'd be people in my DMs all the time saying, man, I don't know what it's like. And I'm a white person or I'm Asian. I'm a female. I'm this, I'm that. Like, I'm not the particular group of people that you're, you're speaking up about. But I either I want to help or help me understand, help me know what y'all are, are, are going through. How can I be an ally? Like, We've had dozens of people hit us up about that. So it's not like an ice. I feel like there was a mass exodus from the evangelical church around that time of people who were like, you know what? Like y'all aren't, y'all aren't really getting it. There, um, I mean, there, there, no, absolutely. There's, there's an article that I pulled up that was, uh, why are black people leaving white evangelical churches? Did and I write they, that one? No, New York okay. Times. Okay, but soon, soon come. Because I did actually, I did write an article about that. Because yeah, I mean, so again, like this is not a, this is not just a me and you thing. This yeah. is we're, we're speaking for a lot of people. I love like human relations. So I and I don't think that I understood as much back then to understand the different nuances that were happening because it's again. And a lot of people don't understand the nuance between what happens between humans, where it's like, okay, you, you're, you're, I'm not understanding how you don't understand what I clearly understand. How can I, like, how are you not listening to me when I'm trying to tell you my experience? You're telling me you, you don't understand my experience. I'm trying to explain my experience to you, and you're still not listening. And the craziest thing is, like, now, as a person with a disability, after when I speak out about race issues, I talk about disability issues because sometimes it helps people understand because race is one of those things. It's more, it's crazy to me that a group of individuals will tell me that like, I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to what mm-hmm. like other people are going, what, you're not what oppressed. You're not looked down upon. You're not treated differently. Uh, yeah, but those same people would, if I said, so would can you tell me about what life is like living with this building? They'd be like, no, I can't, absolutely not. But then, but then you want to tell me what life is like living as a black person, though. right? Like you—that—that's what you—that's where we're at. Yeah, I, you know, as we go through this show and this shows, I feel like this is probably going to be something that's going to be maybe not—I don't want to say reoccurring theme because we it's not in the sense of like we're going to keep like bashing up on this or, but like this is a large part of something like where we are now. I mean, there was kind of a. You know, you hear the term a lot. I had to, I was deconstructing my faith. Uh, I think a lot of people have gone through that during the past five years since 2016 of like almost like deconstruction of what they, what they were taught to believe and what they were taught that evangelicalism stood for. And, you know, a lot of people have over the past few years, like it, just realize like that's not what I want to align myself with, and I mean to, for me, I'll I'll speak very candidly for me. Like there's a lot of people in the evangelical faith, either like worship leaders, like very prominent white figures who have either um, cried oppression over the past five years or acted like woe is me, whether it's with mask mandates or things like that. And for me, it's I per, I do not want to align with that. Like I there have been times. 
where I've been embarrassed to tell other people, like that when we meet for the first time, that yeah, I'm Christian. Because it's, you know, it's around the time when Christians are crying that they're the only religion being oppressed because churches were closed for a couple of weeks when the pandemic happened in 2020. Um, okay. And to me, it's like, it wasn't just, it wasn't just Christian churches. It was churches, you know, it was mosques. It was um, synagogues. It, it, it was, it was everything. We're not being oppressed just because we're Christians. And so like there are different times throughout the past five years where I've been embarrassed to say that I'm Christian. And so I, I mostly have just stuck to like Jesus follower. There are Christians that are listening to this right now that are judging you right now. And, and oh you my know, God, you're embarrassed of your faith? Right. And, and, and honestly, it's like, no, I'm not embarrassed of my faith. I'm embarrassed of those who are, repre- who are, who are claiming to represent Jesus. Ooh, that's a, uh, that's a bar. I'm, I'm just being completely honest, you know, and I know I don't always get it right. And I am, I feel like I've always tried to be open for correction and things, but yeah, there's just certain times over the past five years where I know I've had to kind of deconstruct what I... And reconstruct. So, I mean, yeah, you, you, you building. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm in the fact in the reconstruction process, but I know I'm not isolated in that. I feel like that's a term that's been, you hear a lot if you ever have very open, candid conversations with other people in religion. I feel like that's a term that you've, you hear thrown out a lot. And I think a lot of people are going through that same thing that we've... And I don't think it's wrong because the thing is this, if you, again, where you're born, your parents kind of feed you what they feed you. If you still think the same way as like from when you were five mm-hmm. like, and exactly. you're 35 now, like right. it's a problem. Like... And- or even if you still think the same way that you did five or ten years ago. I mean, we've talked about this in the past where people say, oh, you've changed and things like that. Bro, I'm supposed to. I sure as hell hope so like, that we've I changed. Hope, I hope that I've met different people that have – you said it earlier. My After my injury, us meeting opened you up to a whole new perspective. Exactly. So you see the world not, not differently. You see the world much more clear because you see another perspective exactly. of a lived experience. Exactly. And I, I feel like a lot of people don't get enough lived experience uh, – People don't get enough lived experience, but they also don't get enough shared experience. They don't put themselves and they don't expose themselves to another, enough people that have different experiences than themselves. Yeah. And so with that, I'll also say that I understand and we understand that the world is bigger than our experience. We're talking about our experience within one evangelical church. The world is bigger than that. The United States is bigger than that. The world is bigger than that. We get it. Okay, but this is our podcast and we're talking about our experience. So if you don't like it, change the channel. <laughs> find somebody else. But yeah, I mean, so that's where I feel like we currently are. That's where a lot of our friends are. Um, um, but man, I mean, it's, it's allowed us to, to kind of, I feel like, grow closer. You know, the friends who are kind of walking down that similar path. I feel like my, just my relationships with those people have gotten stronger because it's, man, it's a lot more candid and, and deep conversations talking about like church hurt. That's a, that's a, it's a big thing. And even people who aren't even involved in the church, I mean, we've been a part of programs together here where people wouldn't call themselves religious or don't want anything to do with church as a whole. Um, it's because of church hurt that they've, they've had decades ago in the past, whether they're gay and the church has excommunicated them because they're gay or different things like that. You know, we have those friendships. And so like even opening up to those people and hearing their stories from their church hurt and, and realizing like, man, okay, like this is an, this is an issue that the church as a whole, and not even just the evangelical church, but the like, Christianity as a whole, I think this is a topic that I feel like they, they need to 
address and put forth a better effort at realizing that, yo, religion, when done wrongly, you're, you are going to hurt more people than you help. Oh, it's um, on a very, very deep, deep level that yeah. sometimes is almost irreversible. Right. But you still should be doing what you can to try and, and heal that hurt that you've created and stuff. And so that's where I feel like a big part of, you know, that's where I feel like we've been, I can, you know, speak for us together. Like that's where we've been whenever we meet people either outside of the church who have have had church hurt or something. It's like, man, okay, what can we do to kind of like mend that, that wound? And maybe not all Christians that you meet were like those that hurt you in the past or, you know, we're not all crazy. We're not all, you know, I don't know. My, one of the best, like, I know for a fact that when I meet people, I just want to love people. And so when I don't want, I want people to see God in me and through my, not just, not through my words. Like, I want you to feel it through my energy and how I approach people, how I view the world. And so that to me is the, my best, the best way that I can represent God is showing him through love. And like, I really don't give a shit who you are or like, I just love people. Wow. You really just said show God and shit in the same sentence. It's okay. Um, those same Christians that judge me are going to be judging you. Oh, damn. Yeah, I'll follow long enough. There's going to be a lot of shit you're going to judge me for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not perfect, but again, we're just trying to do our part here. Part of that is with this, with this podcast. Hopefully in, in the future, we'll have some pretty strong guests, some of which even maybe from the, the religious community who can and speak on that church hurt. But we're just trying to do our part to make the world a better place, leave it better than we left it for sure. Yeah, with this episode, we just kind of wanted to go in a little bit about who we are. We kind of went a little bit deeper than I expect us to go with like our, again, our, our background and stuff. But all of that has brought us to this point where we are here to serve people. We serve our community. And again, when it comes to what this show is going to be about, I really just think that we're just bringing our own perspectives on being, you know, people that have been on the outside, found our voices on the outsides. And now we're just trying to share what we, how we see the world. Yeah, facts. So appreciate you guys tuning in and follow along with us. If you haven't already, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and YouTube, as well as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So any or all of those platforms, if you really love us, definitely drop a follow or a subscription. And yeah, that way you can stay up to date. So we appreciate you guys. And One uh, more thing. I'll just say this too, please. Leave comments, questions. We'll get to those and answer those uh, as we get to them. Will we? He will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, all right. We appreciate you guys tuning along. We will actually, can we give a little bit of a uh, preview? Because the next episode is probably going to be pretty. Um... So, this is one of those things where he's trying to hand the baton off, and I have no idea what he's handing off to I mean, me. In the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting for us. Because of my fantasy football team? Ah, the next time y'all see us, it might, it's hey, going to be, su- no, no, it's gonna not, be a surprise. Yeah, it's a surprise, surprise. That's surprise. what I was saying. Oh, I wasn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what we were talking about. But then you came in very hard at the end there. As if because I was like, no, 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 no. Chill, chill, chill. My bad. I was trying to give a teaser, but the next time y'all see us, it, it, it might be a surprise, okay? It might or might not. Who knows? Come for, come Just the follow along. Yeah, so we appreciate you guys. And we look forward to talking to y'all later. All right? Peace. <laughs>